Hello, this is Daryl, and I'm here to introduce you to a new show from The Athletic. It's called Allocation Disorder, and it's going to be hosted by two of The Athletic's national soccer writers, Sam Stagescale and Paul Tenorio, both of whom you're likely familiar with already. Sam and Paul are not only crack reporters with enviable contact lists, they're also experts when it comes to understanding and explaining the complicated inner workings of Major League Soccer. They have an obsession with this stuff. It's like an illness. They have, you might say, an allocation disorder. But why is this show in the TSS feed? I hear you ask. Is it because Daryl loves puns in podcast titles? Partly Yes, but mostly it's because, as with MLS Assist, Taylor and I are going to be working on allocation disorder behind the scenes, producing the show, helping Sam and Paul make it the very best it can be. You've probably noticed Taylor and I doing a bit more of this lately, and it's a thing we're really excited about, helping shows we want to get made get made. And that includes publishing those shows in our feed so that our listeners can hear the content we've been working on. We had actually planned to work on this one a little longer to do some more preparation to let you know this was coming. But then Thursday afternoon, Major League Soccer and the Major League Soccer Players Association went and agreed and announced a new collective bargaining agreement. And if you know Sam and Paul, you'll know that this is what they live for. This is their Super Bowl. And so we decided not to wait. We decided to record and publish the first episode while the new CBA was still hot, still fresh out of the negotiating oven. And so here it is, the very first episode of Allocation Disorder. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stayskull, national soccer reporter for The Athletic. Joining me from Chicago is Paul Tenorio, also a national soccer reporter for The Athletic. Paul, how's it going tonight, man? It's going well. I'm glad we are back. Our second annual episode of Allocation Disorder. We're going to make this a <laughs> yearly event, I think. Yeah, no, that sounds about right. No, in all seriousness, this is actually going to be a weekly show. Um, helped out pr- with production from the crew at Total Soccer Show, Taylor and Daryl. Thank you guys very much for hooking that up. We're going to be in their feed um, for all your listening needs. Of course, we're also going to be on the Athletic app where you can find all of our work. And just to give you a quick bit of background, we're going to be diving in a little bit um, into the nitty-gritty of MLS and U.S. soccer, sharing a little bit of our expertise, a little bit of our personality, um, hopefully in a fun, engaging way. Hopefully you guys will enjoy it. I know we're really excited about it it. Um, And what better way to start off this show, Paul, than to talk about the MLS CBA, which of course just dropped today. A little bit out of nowhere, a little bit not, um, but some significant goings on in there. Of course, the spending is going to increase. TAM is now GAM, and GAM is now more important, and TAM is now less important. Uh, Free agency has changed. There's a lot of stuff happening, Um, but I'm curious, Paul, what uh, what are your main takeaways from this new CBA? Well, first of all, I think you're right. It, it didn't come out of nowhere because the extension occurred from the original deadline to, to this Friday. But, you know, I I was a little bit surprised. And compared to 2015, this was a, a very optimistic negotiation all the way around. Everyone felt like a deal was going to get done. And then, boom, it happened today. And I think, you know, my takeaway is that there's a reason why that optimistic attitude was there. This seems like a pretty good deal for both sides. It's fairly balanced. There's nothing crazy in it. Um, there's not major stu- structural changes, but I think 
that both sides are probably going to be happy with the progress that's going on and, and the ramp up that's occurring in this CBA uh, for what's to come in the next few years. Yeah, and we'll dive in into what's come in the next few years later on in the show. But before we get there, I, I agree with you that, that this I think both sides will be pretty happy with where things ended with this CBA. Um, but that being said, I think there are some kind of interesting elements to that. Right, I've written in the past, and I think you agree with me on this. Correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, the league holds all the leverage in these sorts of negotiations simply because where the players are right now, they need to collect paychecks, and it would be difficult for them to sustain any sort of strike. Um, so they don't have a lot of leverage. So to me, this CBA was sort of a recognition um, from the owners and from the league that, hey, we need to kind of ramp this thing up a little bit. Um, we need to build some momentum before the next round of, of meteorites, uh, the next TV deal that comes up following the 2022 season, and of course before the 2026 World Cup, which MLS really needs to use as a springboard if it's ever going to grow into the league it wants to be, that league of choice that we uh, that we talk about um, and that we've heard talked about. So I guess infamously would be the, the way to put it at this point. Um, so I think it's really interesting from that regard. Yes, the players got a lot of stuff, but it sort of feels to me, and I don't know this from any reporting, it sort of feels to me that it's it was kind of more of a recognition from the owner side of things. Um, but that being said, I think the MLSPA did some really smart stuff. There are some big positives, I think, for the players, and I think we can dive into those a little bit. For me, pretty much number one on that list was changing TAM into GAM. Uh, you want to take that away, kind of on the implications of what that all means? Yeah, let's start with the kind of the basics of it. Targeted allocation money came in a few years ago, and the idea was to improve roster spots four through eight or nine. And essentially, the way the league created that was a player had to make or have the, the roster budget charge be between the, the senior maximum budget charge of around 500000 by By last year, it was 530000 and $1 million more than that maximum budget charge. And they were very judicious and and strict in who got that money. The league actually approved and denied TAM contracts uh, throughout the last few years. And so, conversely, general allocation money was you know is available for teams to use on all all players on the roster to buy down budget charges for everybody from a guy making one hundred fifty thousand if they wanted to to a, a designated player's $530,000 budget charge. So it's a much more flexible form of allocation money. So to see that amount of TAM, $1.2 million, folded into general allocation money, what it does is it gives teams a lot more flexibility in how they build their roster. I think it eliminates some of the discrepancies that we see happen because of the market inefficiencies of TAM, which kind of created a dead zone in in the cap of any yes, player making, making 400000 or so. Um, and, and so it, it was really important because for the players, it, it means everyone uh, has a little bit more money to go around. The teams have that flexibility to use that money as they see fit. And I think, you know, another party that's going to be happy with this is the general managers of teams. Um, yeah. Not always on the side of the players in these types of negotiations, but I think in this case... Although probably more than you would think, honestly. Yeah, and I think the flexibility will be a good thing. I agree with you. I think it's the biggest positive that came out of these negotiations for players. And that's saying that even with the fact that there's still millions of dollars of TAM that still exist in, in the system moving forward in this CBA. 
Yeah. So just to rewind a little bit, and, and for those who, who haven't read any of the stories out there that we wrote or that other people wrote on, on other websites, um, all TAM now is discretionary. It's going to start at $2.8 million in 2020, and it's going to decrease as the amount of GAM uh, increases. So by the end, by 2024, you're going to have a salary budget of $6.425 million, uh, uh, just a little over $3 million in GAM and a little over $2 million in TAM for a total roster spend of around $11.6 million. And that doesn't include, of course, designated players, the amount that you, they that teams pay for them over the maximum budget charge. And that also will not include another initiative that's started in this CBA, which is pretty interesting, which is the under-22 player initiative. So it's sort of similar um, to the young DP category that we've seen in the previous round of roster rules, but essentially, and the, the details are still being worked out on this. So this isn't all finalized, but essentially what we've learned and what's been, what's been released by the league and the players union is that teams are going to have up to three players that they can spend a certain amount of money on and that those players will either hit the budget at 150 or $200,000 per season. Those players all have to be under 22. Um, so that's another element of the CBA that's that's honestly pretty interesting. Um, and I think in my opinion anyway, is, is the league saying, Hey, we want to be more of a selling league. And in order to do that, we need to go out and buy younger players who we think then can be sold on for a profit. Um, and we need to create funds in order to do that. Um, I know Paul, you have some thoughts on that, both in terms of a, of a proposed name, maybe for yeah, this. Yeah, we've mechanism. been trying out some names. I, 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 like... <laughs> I think we have an opportunity to na- to name this. We can get out in front and, and no. really, really get it done. Well, when I first reported about this way back in the day, it was the youth transfer fund. It's kind of warped and changed since those days. I didn't love YTF, so I, I'd I'd like that to go away. And and I landed on the young money fund. You know, I think it's a, a nod to. Um, you know, some, yeah. some of the great noted, rappers. noted huge MLS fan, little Wayne, right? Exactly. Exactly. So I'm, <laughs> he's you know, a huge Columbus crew guy I've heard. on this podcast, at least young money is what we'll be calling that. And I do have some thoughts on it. I think anytime you're adding more discretionary money into the picture, uh, allowing teams to spend bigger chunks on their roster, that's a good thing. I have no problem with that. The problem I have is it's paired right now with the potential for Major League Soccer to limit the third designated player spot. And the way they would limit it is if a player is 23 years old or older, that they would the teams would only be able to spend the maximum targeted allocation money spent, so a million dollars more than that max budget charge. So that would be around $1.6 million in 2020. Right, and I just think, you know, when you number. look at this league right now, look at the look at signing that's occurred in this league this offseason and, and probably in the last few years. That's Chicharito to the Galaxy. If this rule existed right now, Chicharito would not be able to sign with the Galaxy. Not because he didn't want to, not because the money wasn't right, but because of something as arbitrary as his age. So why do these two things have to be paired together? They don't. They don't have to be paired together, uh, but they are. And and so that's my only beef. I, I like young money. I like it, and I think it should happen. I just think that team should leave that third DP, the league should leave that third DP spot alone. We skipped ahead a little bit. I do think the Young Money Fund, the the DP rule and the changes that they might have there are two of the big wins, positives in my mind for the owners. So that's what we're talking about here when we talk about this being a, a pretty balanced CBA. You know, the TAM and the GAM, pretty big win for the players. Keeping TAM, changing the DP spot, 
adding some young money, it's a pretty big dub for the owners. So See, it's interesting to me that you frame it as a as a win for the owners because in one sense it is, right? That's what they wanted uh, and that's what they got. So yeah, victory, right? But in another sense, I think you and I both think those rules are, are not great for the league in certain ways. And if it's not great for the league, it's probably not great for the owners. Um, so yeah, they won it in terms of the negotiation. But I think in the long run, it's kind of more... Uh, it's more ambiguous. Maybe it's in, maybe it's neutral. Maybe it's a negative. Maybe it's a small positive. I don't think it's right to necessarily frame it as a win because I think this goes into a larger discussion, right? What does MLS want to be? In in some ways, in the CBA, they're giving the teams more autonomy to go out and create their own models and build their own rosters the way they see fit. But in other ways, like with this DP proposal and like with, uh, with, with the young money, right, they're still keeping control and they're still maintaining control. And, and that to me is kind of a big part of this, right? So it's like there are small incremental gains, um, but it's slow and steady, just like throughout the entire history of MLS, right? They're not getting carried away with anything. And I think that, again, we, we can circle back around to this later, but I think that's sort of the bigger discussion um, about this CBA in general, at least in my opinion. But before we get there, let's talk about a few more of the uh, of the gains for the players. And, and right there, in my opinion, pretty much neck and neck in terms of importance with with the TAM changing into GAM is free agency. So for those who don't know, the previous free agent rules that were gained in the past CBA negotiations back in 2015 mandated that to be qualified for a free agent, you had to be at least 28 years old and have at least eight years of service in MLS. That made it a very small pool of players that could be free agents, and there were all sorts of restrictions on what kind of contracts they could sign, both in terms of money, um, the types of raises they could get, they were pretty small, and in terms of length, um, the contracts that they could sign were also pretty small. That's opened up significantly in this CBA. And without getting into too many of the details, the main the main thing is in order to be a free agent, now you only have to be 24 and you only have to have five years of service in the league. So that the headline, the big takeaway, is that's going to about double the pool, the size of the pool of free agents from about 10% of the league um, to almost 25%. So that's that's really significant, and I think there's a lot of knock-on effects there. Yeah, I mean, right there, that stat is the most important one. From 10% to 25% of the league that, that is going to be eligible for, for free agency, that was the goal for the players. Increase the pool, increase the rights. And, and it's not wasn't just the goal in this CBA negotiation. When I was in Orlando in 2015 covering the last CBA negotiation. In Your hometown. The, shout out to Orlando. You know, that was the goal. Of this, the entire goal of the CBA in 2015 was to introduce a form of free agency. And in order to do so, they spent up all of their capital and they didn't get many other things. The way we see the kind of the breadth of changes in the CBA. And as a result, they got hammered by players who were unhappy with the CBA, by the press. And really, I think we're seeing the fruits of of that effort in 2015 in this CBA, because now we've seen a significant expansion of free agency and some of the other things that are unfolding here, you know, I think are kind of part of the natural progression um, that's occurred with the growth of the league over the last CBA. That's not to say that they couldn't have done more in the last CBA. I think Tam shows that they could have, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is a pretty impressive increase in free agency and, and for, MLS to get to this point this quickly, I think it's worth saying that some credit is due to the PA, especially because it was, you know, they, they did get hammered pretty hard last time around. 
Yeah, I mean, last time around, I think it's fair to say they risked it all for free agency, right? They gave up a lot in negotiations. Bob Foose, the executive director of the MLSPA, said as much in a conference call with us and some other reporters earlier on Thursday, um, and that hurt them, I think, in the short term. I think it's fair what you're saying, that, that it, those gains made in 2015 at the cost of some other things that, that came to fruition over the course of the next four or so years, with TAM being the main one, of course. Um, those gains that they made then kind of paved the way for the system that they have today, which I think is significant in a lot of ways. You know, I think on that same conference call, Jeff Lorenowitz, the Atlanta midfielder, uh, obviously long, long time MLS veteran. He's been around uh, since I think 2005 when he was making less than less than $12,000 to play for the New England Revolution. So he's he's kind of seen it all in this league, and he's on the exec board of the PA. He said something Basically, the free agency is going to be good for the league, not only because it increases freedom of movement for players and allows for better economic opportunities and allows them, you know, the simple life thing of living where they want, um, what a luxury that can be, right? Um, But it's also going to kind of kick teams into gear, right? It's going to be kind of a rising tide lifts all boats situation. Sure, free agents are going to go where the money is best or where the contract is best, most of the time, that's always going to be the determining factor, regardless of sport. But teams are going to have to start treating their players right. You know, they're not going to have, they're not going to be able to to mess around with them in contract negotiations and piss them off, right? Because if you do that, then the player is going to walk in free agency a lot sooner than he would have otherwise. And I think kind of the ancillary things that we see on the margins um, with MLS that kind of create a good or a bad player experience things like training facilities or the quality of a fan base or you know how much backroom staff you have how much support staff you have how professional the experience feels that stuff is going to start to matter for more players too Um, so I think it will kind of create some competition and some positive knock-on effects in those ways yeah and I think it's worth you know from a media perspective from the the perspective of this podcaster Look, the one area that the league has kind of dragged behind its competition domestically and even really globally is the trade market and the lack of movement and the off-season news that occurs. It's where we Right, this will heat up the hot stove. It'll heat up the hot stove. It'll make for interesting nuggets of news during the off-season. And when your off-season is four months long, as Major League Soccer's is, then you need to have (laughs) some of this stuff. And we're finally going to now see some players who are in their prime – who are outperforming contracts, who are doing surprising things. You know, Julian Gressel would not have qualified for a free agency under this format, but a player of his ilk um, with a similar background that fits the 24 and 5 equation is going to be a much more attractive free agency, free agent, frankly, than the ones that are on the market now, simply because they're younger and they have, you know, less miles on their legs. So, you know, I think it's going to add to the to the buzz around the league during the offseason, and that helps to grow a fan base. So it, I think it'll be a win for the league overall. I think it certainly was a win for players. And, um, you know, even in the little details of free agency, the, the fact that designated players and, and TAM players are now eligible for, for free agency, whereas they weren't before. You know, these are things that maybe we talk about less, but are seen as, as pretty big win wins by the player pool. So definitely a, a, a massive, massive win for, for the players to see free agency expand like that. And I think 
you know, if we're going to keep going with some of the positives we see in this in this CBA for the players, we have to talk about charter flights because we were talking Before about it. Before we a get ton. there, let me stop you. Let me stop you. I have a question for you regarding free agency. So one thing that we, we got thrown at on that conference call with, with the players union um, earlier today was that this sort of idea that free agency is going to allow teams to kind of play their system, their desired system better, right? It'll increase movement and they'll be able to go out and get a piece that fits whatever style they're trying to play better. Um, do you buy into that at all? I mean, I think that could happen a little bit, but I'm curious, do you, do you buy into that idea at all? I mean, sure, of course it does. I, in the in the sense that anytime you're in an offseason, you're looking at players that fit your system. I mean, that's the, the one luxury about Major League Soccer is you have a global market to look for players that fit your system. I guess it'll be something that, that factors in, but I don't think it's anything that's that unique other than that those players will now come at less of a cost. You know, a lot of times when you need a specific player for a specific system, you might have to make a trade and give up allocation money to get that type of player. Um, now you might be able to just wait for them to become a free agent so does it factor in? Sure. Is it a big factor? Not in my opinion. Okay. And we can get back to where we were before I so rudely cut you off about charter flights. So to give a quick background on charters, this has been a very public point of contention for the union over the last year or so. It felt like any time there was any sort of canceled flight or travel delay or nightmare connection or what have you, we learned about it on Twitter um, very loudly and very publicly. And shoot, I'll add rightfully. Um the charter situation in MLS prior to this new CBA was pretty bad. There was a maximum of four legs, so four flights, two round trips, essentially, that teams could take per season. That's not very many in a league that's covering a very vast confident and con- continent excuse me, um, and where teams are flying distances like Vancouver to Orlando um, somewhat routinely. Um, the, the new CBA is going to increase that significantly. Teams will have to take eight regular season legs starting in 2020 that total is going to rise to 16 by 2024 and increasing by two per season additionally every single playoff match teams will have to charter for um and every single Concacaf champions league match that involves international travel teams will have to charter for so those are those are real gains um and this is something that it was it was important to the players um at the end of the day it wasn't something that was going to be their highest priority Right, they want to take care of their money first, but this is a pretty significant win for them, and I think it's a pretty significant move for the league, just in terms of becoming a little bit more professional. Um, but what are, what are your thoughts on on the increase in charters, Paul? Well, yeah, I mean, I think one thing you didn't note, and I think it was one of your stories, Sam, is that not most of the teams in MLS were not using any of their charter flights under the last CBA. They weren't mandatory; they were optional. They were discretionary, and the vast majority of teams were not using those. So even just making these legs of these flights mandatory, I think, is a, a significant step forward. And, you know, by the end of the CBA, the fact that it'll essentially be eight round-trip flights during the course of the season um, is certainly significant growth from what we've seen in the past. I would say, you know, my thought that will be the next step for this league is that I wouldn't be surprised to see, and, and they actually did negotiate in uh, the ability for the union and the league to discuss charter flights and potential changes or increases to charter flights during the course of the CBA. But in speaking with players and in speaking with general managers and coaches over the last year or so, the one biggest 
the big problem area for for charter travel has been midweek games and yeah and i think that the next step for these charter flights will be to require charters for midweek games um now i think a lot of the smart teams will probably reserve their travel for those midweek games you know with the exceptions and you know obviously cross continent travel will be utilized by teams like vancouver and orlando but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of the next way to take aim at this problem because I think that's that's where players have have seen the the biggest impact, where coaches have seen a huge impact in in the lack of training time, the lack of recovery time. But I, you know, all of that, we're already I'm already looking forward to what should come next. I do think it was a a good gain in this CBA, and I think it'll be something that does improve the product on the field, which is the ultimate goal um, for for both the players and the league. Yeah, for sure. And, and before we transition off this topic, and I think that's the midweek game point is a really good one. I don't think they'll get to that point just because a lot of those midweek games involve Eastern Conference teams that are close together and don't necessarily even fly, um, like between Boston and New York or Philly and New York or DC or whatever, what wh- whatever you have. But one question: Have you ever have you ever been on a charter flight, Paul? Uh, I have not been on a charter. You haven't. Flight. I have oh, man. Well, I, uh, it is an experience, my man. And you, for all you listeners out there who have not been on one, I was lucky enough to go on one with the Revolution last season to embed with them on the Patriots plane, which is like a big old 777 jet um, on their trip to Kansas City. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm a pretty tall guy. I'm 6'3", and I have pretty long legs. So folding myself into a regular plane seat is is kind of a disaster. And it makes such a big difference. I'm not a professional athlete, of course. Um, I think that goes without saying. I'm what? doing this podcast, right? Um, but, you know, if I was, like, or not even being one, it just made a big difference getting off that getting off that plane, having space to spread out, having a meal on the flight, just getting off and, and feeling a lot fresher than I would have had I been flying commercial. And if you're a pro athlete, that sort of thing makes a big difference. And this is a performance issue for the players. The luxury is nice, of course, um, but it is primarily a performance issue for them. So um, I think from that perspective, like you were saying, good for the league, good for the overall product. So a good thing. Um, Now, to transition off of that and get a little bit more into the nitty gritty, let's talk about about a TV deal. You want to set set that up for us, Paul? Well, we wrote last week, going into this week of negotiations that this CBA is a little bit of a placeholder. And I think maybe that informs a little bit of what we're talking about now and why we see this as positive momentum, even though there's not significant changes. We never expected significant changes because that media deal is right around the corner and no one knows what to expect in that TV deal. Is it going to be a massive increase in annual revenue? Is it going to fall well short of those expectations because MLS's TV numbers continue to struggle. How will you know the, the the streaming services change the dynamics of these negotiations? All of these are huge questions, and that led to problems. I don't even say problems. That led to the, these same questions having a, an impact on these CBA, CBA negotiations, and it led to what I think is the most interesting part of this CBA, and that is the revenue sharing that is. Um, that is applied to this CBA where we now see for the first time players are able to tie player spend specifically to the media revenue. It's a very complicated formula. 
I had to actually send a like a math equation to Sam for Paul, him to be Paul able to get Paul and I yelled it today. at each other about this for for about twenty. Sam was wrong. Sam was wrong, I and I had to send it to him I in Slack wrong. for him to finally get I, it. I majored in econ in college, and I was wrong about this, so it's kind of embarrassing for me and and all of my former professors. Shout out to you guys. I mean, I'm just happy I was right, I, as I usually am. But just that we get to talk about <laughs> it on a podcast for everyone to know, it's just it's it's right and it's a humble nice too. He's got it all, folks. So we'll try to explain this equation. In fact, you know what? I'm going to let Sam explain it since he now gets it. Since oh I, I spelled it out You're for him, Sam me on the spot. I, I don't know. We'll see how this goes. Basically, how it works. Um, let's just say, for the purposes of this exercise, that MLS is currently receiving 100 million dollars in broadcast revenue. It's a little bit more than that. Forget about it. Just say it's 100 million. So. In order for the union to get money, essentially, so for that money to be transitioned into player spending, the next TV rights deal would have to be at least $200 million. For every dollar that the league gets after $200 million a year, this is all on an annual basis, 25% of that amount would then go in to player spending in the form of the salary budget or general allocation money meaning it would be open to all players. It wouldn't be restricted at all. There's no U22, there's no DP stuff, there's no TAM stuff. It's open to everybody, um, which is important. That's been a big thing for the union overall. So say they get $300 million a year. The delta there is going to be $200 million. That's going to be the increase from 2022 to 2023. And then 25% of that must be folded into player spending, 25% of $200 million. My quick math there, that's $50 million. Um, so that, that would then be going in around the league. So divide that by 30 teams by the time you get to 2023 um, or 2024, whatever it is. Um, and that's what, one one and a quarter or so, one and a third per team um, or 1.6. I don't know. I'm not, well, I'm, not let, I'm a journalist. Let's, let's, I'm not let's a math back guy. out of this hypothetical real but quick and, and basically spell it out. it's like, going to increase. It's, yes. Uh, you take, so you, you take you go the ahead, 2022. You, you take the equation. Yeah, you take the 2022 television money, add $100 million to that number. Anything over that number that occurs in 2023 and 2024 is when you take 25% out of that, and that goes into the player fund. Now, let's set expectations somewhere realistic. I think it was only uh, a TV deal ago or so that the, I think, NFL's annual intake was like 200 and. 40 million or 250 million so the league is not mls is probably not going to be in that ballpark i think it'll end up somewhere where maybe we're talking about a 10 million dollar difference and you're you're seeing 2.5 million dollars put into the budget but you know if it does the the reason this exists is if it does have a massive increase if it does go well beyond expectations the union wanted to have something in the CBA to protect the players and ensure that a piece of that significant revenue increase went back into the player pool. Yeah. And that's kind of the lesson of this whole CBA. Exactly. Right. So who, who knows what it'll look like, right? And that's one thing that's been emphasized to both of us today and over the course of the last however many months that we've been talking to people about this is that no one knows what it's going to look like. Everyone has a projection, but no one knows if some company like DAZN or whoever else, some streaming service is going to come in and throw 
a bajillion dollars at MLS, um, despite all evidence um, and and the kind of sad history of their TV ratings. So who knows what it'll look like. But the kind of theme of it, the thing to take away from it, for me anyway, is the union protecting itself. And that's something that they didn't do last time around. And a few months after they agreed to the CBA, the league added a bunch of money via TAM completely on their own terms. And that's not something that's going to be able to happen this time around because the union protected itself in this way and in other ways as well. Um, so that's that's a big theme of this for me. Um, and that's going to be really interesting. But I do want to get back to that notion that you spoke about, um, about this sort of being a placeholder CBA. And, and that's one that I agree with. And I'll tell you why. Uh, basically, as, as Paul mentioned, right, the, the broadcast deal, which expires after 2022, is going to be huge for the direction of the league. It's going to dictate a lot about how much money they can spend on players and, and really how fast they can ramp up to the 2026 World Cup. And this is a, a broader discussion. Um, but I think that 2026 World Cup, which, of course, is going to be hosted by the USA, Canada and Mexico, um, is going to just be absolutely crucial. It's going to be kind of a do or die moment for the league. Right. From now until then, we can all point to the World Cup and say, hey, you know, maybe maybe soccer hasn't taken off quite so much domestically yet. But when we get to 2026, that's going to be a springboard that's going to propel things forward. That's going to really make things go to the next level, because at some point it's going to be about the reality on the ground. Expansion is going to end. The 2026 World Cup is going to come and go. And this narrative of momentum around MLS Right, it's only going to continue if if the facts on the ground dictate it, and right now they don't necessarily do. Um, so you know this is this is sort of why it's a placeholder in some ways to me, it is because whether or not that momentum is is going to occur is going to be dictated a lot by that TV deal and what can happen between that TV deal and the 2026 World Cup. Yeah, big. It'll be a big moment for this league. It'll be a big moment for the union and. I think we'll learn a lot about the ambition of the owners at that point. We 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 are seeing a um, a steady increase in owners who are trying to increase spending, trying to push this league forward. We also are still seeing some owners who are holding back on that, aren't quite ready to do it. And after that TV deal and ahead of the World Cup, the balance is going to have to shift. It's going to have to shift toward the owners who are willing to spend more. And you know, we'll harken back to something from earlier in the show. It's what's frustrating about the fact that they could change the DP rule to limit how much teams are spending on players in any way, in any fashion. And I think, you know, we talk a lot and the league likes to talk a lot about the steps it's taking to move forward. And that's great. There are steps they are taking to move forward, but everyone else in the world is moving forward too. Liga MX is, is not standing there sitting, watching MLS catch up to it and saying, Oh, you're not quite there yet. You know, we'll let you catch us at some point. No, they're adding more money in. They're changing their rules. They're doing different things to grow. Europe obviously is not standing still. So MLS, when it takes a half a step back, is losing significant ground to leagues that are moving forward. And and I think that's an important lesson to remember when we see what happens with this DP rule and when we watch what happens with the TV deal and the next CBA negotiation into the World Cup. Are owners learning that lesson? or not and um and i think it's the big tbd and and we start watching it now it's not about just waiting for yep. those deals it, it starts now 100 percent. and before we wrap up i want to ask one more question um to you and i've written in the past that this cba was going to be more about more of a battle between owners 
and, and the owners that want to open things up and the owners that want to kind of keep a tight rein on things um, than it was going to be between owners and players. So in that vein, who do you think kind of won that battle between the owners now that we see the results of what the CBA is going to look like? Do you think, do you think one group won or do you think it was more down the middle um, from their perspective? Um, I, I would say just based on the, I, I, I would say, I guess it's down the middle, but I give the advantage to the lower spending owners because the the changes in the DP rule are significant enough in my eyes to outweigh even the the introduction of this this young money rule. Um, I just think that while you're adding more discretionary money into the league, you're doing so in a very risky play. And yes, the the the, the high spending teams are going to utilize that, but you change the dynamics of players that they can look for with their DP spots, which which remain the they that was the one area that was the one area in MLS where teams could do what they wanted and where spend they could as really much. separate themselves. Yeah, yeah, and and that's gone now, or at least a third of it is gone, and so potentially if they pass, if they this. if they, I mean, from what I've heard, it hasn't been fully passed and vetted, but it has been ratified by the product strategy committee and so it's it's nearly there and, Interesting. and so the, basically for those who don't know the product strategy committee is a committee of owners um, they discuss topics like the dp rule usually when they approve something it's usually a rubber stamp for the league and for the rest of the owners and the board of governors and then that then that usually passes yeah so hearing that it's been ratified though i was given the warning that it's been ratified but it's still in discussion so clearly very controversial among the owners you know I, I just think that's such a drastic change great for the league to spend more money on young players great for the league to want to sell more we'll talk about this at some point in the podcast i'll believe it when i see it right but to take away one-third of the dp rule in the way that it exists before where you can spend however much you want on whatever players you want is such a negative that I'll, i'm going to give it to you know, to to the owners that that don't spend as much, and I'm not even going to rattle through their names. We all know who they are. Um, so, I, if they lose that battle, then it's been a positive experience for those higher spending teams. Yeah, for sure. Um, one last thing for you: give me one sentence, like the one sentence big picture takeaway um, from all of this news that came out today in this new CBA. I'm putting you on the spot here, Paul. The league is ready to move forward but it's not ready to change the way it grows. I think that's pretty good. Um, I don't know if I have anything to add to that. Basically, maintain control, slow and steady, incremental growth, a few steps forward, a couple of steps backward, um, a recognition that they need to grow, but a lack of recognition to fully take the reins off. Um, That would sort of be my takeaway. And I think... With that, we can close out the first episode, or second episode, whatever you want to call it, of uh, of our podcast here, Allocation Disorder. Thank you so much for listening. Paul, I had a good time. I hope you did too. Um, and we'll be back soon on the Total Soccer Show feed and in the Athletic app. Thanks again for listening. Uh, join us next time on Allocation Disorder. Mm-hmm.